And I want you to read 1 Chronicles 21 and 22. I want you to read those two chapters in one sitting from start to finish without taking a break. And I want you to read those two chapters every day for the next week until you come back here next Sunday. All right? I want us to do that together. That we're going to read 1 Chronicles 21 and 22 every day for the next week. And so today we're starting in 1 Chronicles and it's the story about a king that if you've grown up in church or even if you've kind of hung around church a little bit, maybe you've heard of him. His name is King David. He's the most famous of all the kings of Israel or kings of Judah. He, he's, the, he's the one that, that, uh, that is, is the most righteous. He's the, he's the one that was the most successful. And, and he's, the, he's the one that, that everyone else aimed to be like after he was king. And, and it talks in this story, in these two chapters that we're going to cover during this whole month of September, it tells a story about how David was given an opportunity to step up his commitment to God. He was given an opportunity to step up the sacrifice that he was willing to make to follow God. And he was given an opportunity to lead the nation of Israel to do things that it had never done before. To lead the nation of Israel to do something that it had needed to do for a long time. And in order for that to happen, it required sacrifice. It required sacrifice on his part, and it required sacrifice on the, the part of the nation of Israel. And we're going to talk about that sacrifice specifically next week and as this, as this goes on. But they had to step up their responsibility. They had to step up their sacrifice. They had to step up their commitment level. And I want you to know today that I believe that this church, we stand at a crossroads. And we have an opportunity, just like King David did, just like the children of Israel did, we have an opportunity to either step up our sacrifice, our commitment level, and our responsibility, or we have an opportunity to watch this church begin to slowly fade, and it'll take a long time, because this church is healthy, and it takes a long time for a healthy church to die. But I believe we stand at a crossroads where we can go on and do some bigger and better things than we've ever done. And that's what we're going to talk about today. And so we're going to look at verses 1 through 19 of 1 Chronicles 21. 1 Chronicles 21, 1 through 19. Now, but I want to start with the last two verses we're going to cover today first. Verses 18 and 19. So I want to go to the end of the story before we go to the beginning of the story. And this is what the end of the story says. Now the angel of the Lord had commanded Gad, and Gad was, uh, Gad was like the, the prophet of Israel at that time. He was, the, he was the guy that would come to David and say, I've been praying and talking to the Lord, and this is what the Lord has told me for the nation of Israel. So the angel of the Lord had commanded Gad to say to David that David should go up and raise an altar to the Lord on the threshing floor of Ornan the Jebusite. So David went up at Gad's word, when he, which he had spoken in the name of the Lord. Now, if you just pull those two verses out of this story, if you don't look at verse 1 of 1 Chronicles 21, you don't look at verse 2, you don't read any of the, the first 17 verses, and you just start with verse 18 and 19, you'd think, oh, this is nice. It's David, we already know, he's a good guy, he's a righteous king, and he's following the command of the Lord that was given by an angel of the Lord, given to the prophet of the Lord, Gad, and he's doing exactly what God wanted to do. God said, go to Ornan the Jebusite, so David went up and did that, and because God commanded it, and he, he started to build an altar there to, to, to make sacrifices to God, which is a, another one of those things, if you just pull that out of context, you realize, if you've read any of the Old Testament, that's not a 
odd thing to do. People were building altars all the time, and God was commanding people to build altars. So it just seems like it's a very neat, tidy story that everything's good, and you don't have any indication of anything that came before that led to that. It's kind of like uh, this morning, this uh, beautiful lady that was over here playing this keyboard, I happen to be married to, and, uh, and I love her very much. And, and uh, one of the things that she can do, which is amazing to me, is uh, we can go to uh, Pecknell Music, or we could go online and download a piece of music off the internet, and I can just walk it in, and I can put it on the piano and say, hey, would you play that for me? And she's never seen it before. She can sit down and she can play it. She can pretty much play any piece of music that she wants to play just the first time she looks at it. Now, and she can also play all kinds of different styles of music, and, and she can play music like we play here, and then she can play old-timey church music that she grew up listening to, and uh, she can play all kind of stuff. Now, did she just wake up one day and be able to do that? No, what, what you see here, you're like, man, that looks good. She almost makes it look easy. But what you don't see is the thousands and thousands of hours of practice that it took to get there. What you don't see are the thousands of trips that her mother took her to piano lessons and then picked her up from piano lessons. You don't see some of the arguments sometimes that her and her mother would have because she wanted to play like Donnie and Marie music that she had gotten a new album for and her mom wanted her to play what the teacher told her to play. You don't see all of those things. You don't see all the hard work that it took to get to where she is now. And when you pull out verses 18 and 19 of this story, oh, David went up and he built an altar. It just seems like it's so neat and perfect, but there was some real, real, real serious stuff that happened before here. And so I want us to go to verses 1 and 2 because I want us to look at what it took to get David to the point he was, and I want us to think about what it has taken us to get from where we were as a church to where I believe God wants us to go as a church. And so starting with 1 Chronicles 21 verse 1 says this, Then Satan, let's just stop right there. You know that this story is going to be messed up right there. If it starts off, then Satan. All right, then Satan stood against Israel and incited David to number Israel. So David said to Joab and the commanders of the army, Go number Israel from Beersheba to Dan and bring me a report that I may know their number. Now let me just say this, if you, this is your first time here and maybe you're not normally a part of church and, and coming to church is kind of a new thing for you, it's about to get weird, I understand, I'm just being honest, it's going to get weird just for a minute because one of the things that we believe here, we believe that God is real, we believe that God is love, we believe that God wants the best for us and we also believe that there is a real devil and that he hates us, and that he wants to destroy our lives, and that he's a liar and he's a deceiver. And what we see in this story is it begins with saying, then Satan stood against Israel. And so we see here that, that Satan was active. He was trying to do things to, to hurt the nation of Israel. He was trying to get in the way of the progress that David was wanting to do. We know that David was about to be used to do something very significant. And then we see here that Satan stood in the way of what David was about to do, which was going to be significant. And here's the first thing I want you to know today. If you're taking notes, I want you to write this down. When you try to do something significant for the kingdom of God, you will face opposition. When you try to do something significant for the kingdom of God, you will face opposition. See, I, I think that we have this false belief. We have this false belief. It's not biblical. It's, it's not even really practical. 
We have this false belief that if you're doing what God wants you to do, then everything is smooth sailing. Man, I'm following God. How do I know I'm following God? Because, man, it's been all open doors. My business is booming. People are just blessing me left and right. I've got more friends than I've ever had. My kids are are obeying me. My, My marriage is in the best shape it's ever been. You know why? It's because God's blessing, because I'm doing what God wants me to do. Well, let me tell you something. You can also be doing what God wants you to do, and Satan get that gets Satan's attention, and he begins to stand against you just like he stood against Israel, and then all of a sudden you start to experience a lot of heartache, and you start to experience a lot of disappointment because one of the things that happens is whenever we try to do something significant for the kingdom of God that's going to get the devil's attention and he's going to do all that he can to stop that when the good that this church does begins to hurt the evil that Satan's trying to do in the world one of the things we can be guaranteed of is that he's going to attack this church that's one of the things we know is going to happen I knew a uh, friend of mine who lives down in Charleston and uh, he's, he uh, was, for years, he was a, a, a high school basketball coach, and now he's, uh, now he's a principal of a private Christian school down there. And uh, he talked about that when he was coaching high school basketball, he said that every time they would play a team, he said generally high school basketball teams, at most, they'll have one really good player. And he said, when I was coaching the team, he said, I would identify who the best player was. And all that week during practice, we would practice what we were going to do to defend that one player. We didn't care what the other four guys did to us. He said, because if we could stop the one player that had the potential to hurt us, we would win the game. He said, the other guys, he said, they weren't going to really do anything to hurt us. They they weren't doing anything of significance. He said, but the guy who was going to hurt us, the guy who was going to score the most points, the guy who was the most significant on their team, we'd put all of our efforts into stopping him. And I want you to understand that that's exactly the way the devil plays his game is that he looks and he sees this is a church here that's making a real impact. This is a, this is a, a person here who's making an impact. This is a person who, who is, is helping lost people become spiritually free at the place he works. So you know what I'm going to do? I'm going to attack that person. I'm going to do all I can to stop that because they're doing something significant for the kingdom of God. And the thing that Satan cannot stand and the thing that he cannot deal with is when we begin to make progress into pushing back the evil in this world that he's trying to push forward. And he will attack us. And that's exactly what we see happened in this story. Now, we should not be surprised that Satan attacks us when we try to do something spiritually significant. Now, what maybe will surprise us that we see in this story is the method that he uses to attack us. Look there again at verse 1. It says this, Then Satan stood against Israel, and what did he do to attack? Did he send a hurricane to blow out the children of Israel? Did he send an invading army? No, it says he incited David to number Israel. Now, I'm just going to tell you, when, when I first read that story, I thought, okay, and it says later that God got really upset about that, and I was thinking, man, was God like having a bad day? Because what's the big deal? He just did a census. That's all he did. He wanted to see how many people had. And, and, and really what he wanted to see was he wanted to check and see how many fighting men he had. That's because when, when we're going to read in just a minute, when, when he began to, to number the people, he was asking, how many men do I have that can draw a sword? So if I need to go to battle, how many guys do I have that can go fight for the nation of Israel? 
And really, it doesn't seem like it's that big of a deal. In fact, when we look at that, we would just say that, that David was just planning. That's all he was doing. And, and we would all think, you know, before you're going to go into battle or before you're going to build a house or start a business or go to school, you ought to do some pre-planning before, before you get started on that. So what is the big deal? Let me tell you what the big deal was. Let me, tell you what, let me tell you why God was so upset with David saying, I'm going to number the people of Israel. Satan incited David to number the people of Israel. The problem with that was this, is that for the first time in the history of, of Israel, they were beginning to trust in themselves for their future success more than they trusted in God for their future success. Now keep in mind, this is... This is a, a nation that, that only existed because God wanted them to exist. This is a nation, they had been slaves in Egypt. And who miraculously rescued them? Did they do that themselves? No, I believe it was God. God parted a sea for them. That was something they couldn't do. And then they're wandering around in the desert for many years. And who was the one that provided them something to eat every single morning and every single night? They'd walk out in the morning, there's bread laying on the ground. They walk out at night, there's doves laying on the ground. Come and take us, come and eat us. Who gave them that? God did. And then once they got to the place where they were supposed to take the land, they had to face more, they had to face bigger armies, they had to face walled cities. And there was one story where there was this walled city called Jericho, and God said, just go march around it and have the band play a few songs, and the walls are going to fall down. And that's exactly what happened. Who was responsible for that? God was. And so God had given them everything they needed. And now when they've come to a time of peace, and David begins to look forward at what am I going to do? next there's some things that i might want to do next the first thing he thinks is not how can i depend on god to do that but how many people do i have to make this happen because we got to do this ourselves and see what happened in david's life what seemed to be normal just the counting of the people what seemed to be normal was actually a dangerous shifting of trust from god to self he began to shift his trust from, I'm totally trusting God to give me everything, so now I'm trusting in myself to give me some of those things. And I want you to understand something. That was a slow process. It's not like David just woke up one day and said, God, I remember the manna, I remember the story of the sea, I remember all that stuff, I've been hearing all that stuff my whole life, I was there when we fought some of these battles and that kind of stuff. But I want you to know that I've decided starting today, yesterday I trusted you, but today I trust me. It wasn't like that. It was a slow shift over time. And it was something that happened in, in, in just small decisions that took place. And I want you to understand something, that when Satan attacks us, just like he attacked the children of Israel, he doesn't use invading armies and he doesn't use natural disaster, but his attacks on us begin in the same place his attacks on David begin, and they begin in our heart. It said David incited, it said Satan incited David to number the people of Israel. His attack began in his heart. And David probably, I'm, in fact, I could almost, I'd almost be willing to bet my house, not that David probably, but David thought that he was doing the right thing. When he chose to number the people of Israel, he thought, this is the best thing for this country, to know how many fighting men I've got, when in fact he was really beginning to trust in himself and his own power more than in the power of God. And that's what Satan does to us as he begins to attack us in our heart. In September of 2004, 
So 10 years ago this month, I resigned my position at Fairview Baptist Church where I'd served for 10 years as the student pastor there. And I'd come, I'd moved here from, from uh, I'm, I'm originally from Columbia and Sherry's originally from Traveler's Rest and, and we got married in Charleston where we went to school and then we went to seminary in New Orleans. So we moved here from New Orleans. We had been living on Mars, all right? That's, if you've ever been to New Orleans, it's another daggum country, I'm just going to tell you, I mean, a planet. And so we had been living on Mars and we get to move home. And I can remember those first few weeks when I was here, I would just walk through the parking lot of the Winn-Dixie, which is now the Walmart market. It was brand new then. And I remember I would just walk through the parking lot like at 10 o'clock at night and think, I don't have to worry about getting shot. This is awesome. And I just thought it was the most wonderful thing. And so we had moved home. And, and, and so we, we began a ministry that God blessed, that we were excited to be a part of at Fairview. And it was wonderful. And we did that for 10 years. And then in September of 2004, after being there for 10 years, I resigned that position so I could begin work on this church. And at that time, this church didn't have a name. It didn't, it didn't have uh, any property. This church didn't have any staff. It didn't even have any equipment at all. It didn't even have a computer. We didn't have anything. It just had me and my wife and three other families. That's all we had. And we, be, and we began to work on what is this church going to be? What is it going to look like? What are we going to try to do? And as we began to pray and we began to look into the Word together and we began to seek God, we knew that what we wanted to do is we wanted to start a new church in this area that would be totally and completely devoted to helping people who are spiritually in bondage, who are spiritually enslaved, that they would discover true freedom that only comes from Jesus Christ. Only Jesus can set us free from sin. And that's what we wanted to do. And so we began to make plans, and, and we began to do that kind of stuff. And, and so we've been doing that now for 10 years, and it's hard for me to believe we've been doing that for 10 years. I was in my 30s and didn't hardly have any gray hair, and I had a lot of energy back then. And now i got a lot of gray hair, and I'm in my 40s, and I'm tired, right? That's what happens after 10 years. And so we started that process. And during, as I look back, during the 10 years we've been doing this, we've experienced some attacks from Satan. I know it. I'm totally convinced that that's what some of it has been. And we've experienced some attacks that have, have come from the outside of the church, the people that weren't a part of our church. We've experienced a lot that have come from inside the church, people who came and were a part here and, and, uh, and did some things that were very uh, negative and to attack me personally and attack the church and the progress we were making. And for a long time, I looked and I thought those kinds of things were the worst kinds of attacks that we had dealt with as a church, those inside attacks and outside attacks. But now, I've come to realize that the greatest attacks that we've experienced as a church that have done us the most damage were not the attacks from people from the inside or the outside. The greatest attacks were the attacks where Satan was inciting me as the pastor of this church to turn my eyes from trusting in God for the future of this church to trusting in myself for the future of this church and to trusting in how many of you there are for the future of this church. How much you are giving for the future of this church. See, I want you to look at 1 Chronicles 21, 3 through 6. So David says that he's going to number the people of Israel. And look at what he found. 
Verse 3, but Joab said, May the Lord add to his people a hundred times as many as they are. Are they not, my lord the king, all of them Lord's servants? Why then should my lord require this? Why should it be a cause of guilt for Israel? So Joab warned him. But guess what? David's the king, so guess who won out? Verse 4, but the king's word prevailed against Joab. So Joab departed and went throughout all Israel and came back to Jerusalem. And Joab gave the sum of the numbering to the people of the people to David. In all Israel there were 1,100,000 men who drew the sword, and in Judah 470,000 who drew the sword. But he did not include Levi and Benjamin in the numbering, for the king's command was abhorrent to Joab. So Joab goes and he counts the people. And notice he didn't count ladies, he didn't count children, he didn't count old guys that are too weak now to do anything. David said he was going to count the people of Israel, but what David really wanted to know is, if I'm going to invade a country, or if i got someone to, somebody coming to invade me, I need to know if we can beat them or not. Because remember, David's trust had shifted from God to himself. And what he finds out is, he's got 1.6 million guys who can go to battle. It's a pretty good size army. So David's feeling pretty good about himself. And then go to verse 7. Now remember, just think about how this, how this whole chapter started. Remember it started with the words, then Satan, and then you get to verse 7, and it says, but God. Then Satan told David to do something, but then it says in verse 7, but God was displeased with this thing, and he struck Israel. And verse 8 is why we're here today. Verse 8 is why I've told you this is, I think, the most significant Sunday in the history of this church. It's not because I'm resigning. It's not because we got a $5 million gift to build our new building. It's none of that stuff. It's because of what David did in verse 8 and what we need to do. Verse 8, and David said to God, I have sinned greatly in that I have done this thing. But now please take away the iniquity of your servant. For I have acted very foolishly. See, when we trust ourselves more than we trust God, the only proper response to that is confession. It's confession. What I love about David's response here is David doesn't justify what he did. You know, David could have said, Hold up, God, I'm just trying to plan. Just trying to be a, a, a leader that looks ahead. Just trying to count and see how much you've blessed me so then I can know what we're going to do in the future. He doesn't try to blame somebody else. He doesn't say, well, it's not really me, it was Satan. God, didn't you read the story there where it says, then Satan stood against Israel and incited me? It's not my fault, I was minding my own business. Satan was just messing with me. You know I'm not stronger than Satan. Or he doesn't try to blame God, which is what sometimes we do. David didn't blame anybody. He didn't justify his actions. What he did was, as he said, I'm taking responsibility for what I've done, and then he asked God for forgiveness. And that's what true confession is. True confession is when we stand before God and we say, I have done this terrible thing. There's no excuse. God, please forgive me. That's what true confession is. And so, what, is, what does God respond? Now, here's the way we would like the story to be. We would like for verse 9 to say, And the Lord spoke to Gad, David's seer, saying, Tell David, no biggie. 
It's all good, bro. Much love. Everything's all right. No problemo, right? That's what we would want God to say to David. Because that's what we like to do. We like to do stupid stuff and then go to somebody and say, man, I did something stupid, and then say, hey, it's all good, man. It's no big deal, even though you just ruined somebody's life, right? That's what we want. But what does God say? And the Lord spoke to Gad, David's seer, saying, go and say to David, thus says the Lord, three things I offer you. Choose one of them that I may do it to you. By the way, when, when my kids were little, the things they hated to do more than anything is when they did something wrong, and I would say, what do you think I should do to you? And boy, my daughter Emily, who's in college, you want to make her cry? Just say, Daddy, I don't know, I, don't, I want you to decide. You know, she couldn't, she couldn't handle that at all. I loved it. It was one of those things that I would do just to make her cry every once in a while. See, I'm in charge here. So Gad came to David and said to him, Thus says the Lord, choose what you will, either three years of famine or three months of devastation by your foes while the sword of your enemies overtakes you, or else three days of the sword of the Lord, pestilence on the land with the angel of the Lord destroying throughout all the territory of Israel. Now decide what answer I shall return to him who sent me. And before we go to verse 13, now remember, true confession is not just about avoiding punishment. David knew the punishment was coming. True confession for him was getting back in line with what God wanted him to do. True confession was saying, God, I took my eyes off of you and I put my eyes on me. I was trusting in how many guys I had who could draw a sword more than I was trusting in the power of God. And so I want to get back to where I'm trusting in the power of God again. And the way we know that David really did that was what he says in verse 13. Then David said to Gad, I'm in great distress let me fall into the hand of the Lord, for his mercy is great, but do not let me fall into the hand of man. David shows that his trust is back where it was supposed to be. Even when God said, I'm about to destroy you. I'm about to destroy the nation of Israel. And David said, I still trust you more than I trust myself. I still trust you more than I trust any other invading armies. I trust you, God, you're where I put my trust. And so in verses 14 through 17, which I'm not going to read, it says that David, that God then said, okay, David, no big deal, I'm not going to kill anybody. No, it doesn't say that. What it says in verses 14 through 17 is that God did exactly what he told David he was going to do. He came to the land for three days, and it said that 70,000 of the men who could draw the sword were destroyed. That's almost a full Death Valley or a full Williams-Brice Stadium. That's how, that's how many people it was. 70,000 men cut down by God. Why? Because of David's sin as the leader of Israel, because of the nation of Israel following their leader and them all together saying, we trust ourselves more than we trust our God who's given us everything we've got so far. We still trust ourselves more. And then you get to verse 18 and 19, which I started with, and let me read it again. So after that, then it says this, now the angel of the Lord had commanded Gad to say to David that David should go up and raise an altar to the Lord on the threshing floor of Ornan the Jebusite. Now I'm going to give you a preview of what's going to happen next week, and I'm going to give you, give you a preview of where we're going. Ornan the Jebusite owned a piece of land, and David would purchase that piece of land, and that's where the temple of God would be built. You see, the whole time the nation of Israel 
had been in existence. Before they were in Egypt, and then after they were in Egypt, they never had a permanent place to worship. They were just like us. They were a portable church. They had the tabernacle, and they had to take this tent, and they had to set up all the stuff, and then at the end of the service, they had to tear it all down, just like we do. Some of y'all are here, you've been doing that forever. Some of you were here early this morning and you set up these screens and you set up rooms for our children to meet in and you set up tables out there and you set up donuts and coffee for us to drink and eat and all that kind of stuff. And guess what? When we're done, you know what those same people are going to do? They're going to come and they're going to take down these screens. They're going to take down these instruments. They're going to take down those kids' rooms. They're going to take down those tables and the coffee and the donuts and all that kind of stuff. And they had to do that all the time. And the, and the nation of Israel was just like us. They didn't have a permanent facility. And what David wanted to do, what God had put in David's heart to do, was to build a permanent place for them to meet, to build a great temple where God could be honored by what went on there, where other people could come by and they'd say, that's where the nation of Israel worships. Their God is a real God. He gave them the ability to build that. He gave them all they needed to get that built. But there would never have been the altar David built, There would never have been the land that was purchased. There would never have been the gathering of materials. And there would never have been the temple of the Lord if it did not begin, and don't miss this, with confession. What had to come before any of that was David standing before God as the king of Israel and saying, I confess to you that I have sinned. I confess to you that I have taken my eyes off of you and I've put my eyes on myself and the people of Israel to do the same thing. told you that I believe this church is at a crossroads. And one of the things that that we have in our mind that we'd like to do, that we believe God has given us the desire to do, is we want to build a building. We've got a plan. We like the plan. We've got a plan now of how we're going to set some goals to raise funds. And if you come next week, we're going to tell you the goal we're trying to raise and and how we're trying to get there and, and what your part in that will be. And we want to do all that not because we're tired of setting up and tearing down. We want to do that because we believe that gives our church an opportunity to have a better future. To reach more people. To give us the resources we need. But I want you to know today that the future of this church is not dependent on a building. It's dependent on us getting our hearts in line with what God wants to do and then trusting Him to do it. See, when we start thinking about what needs to happen for the future of this church, you know what we could do? You know what's easy to do? What's very tempting to do? It's easy to look around and say, man, we need to do what some other... We, you know what we need? We need more lights. We really need more lights in here. We need like lights that move and strobe lights and disco ball and you know whatever i don't know whatever we just need some stuff we and we need we need ps4s for our kids to play in the in the freedom kids area so when they come in they're playing a ps4 and an xbox connects and and we got stuff that steve jobs hadn't even invented yet that that's going to be released five years after he's dead we're going to get that it's going to be the latest technology we're going to have our kids do that and we need we need ben for for on wednesday nights he's going to build an american ninja warrior course for our students to do at link and we're going to give away a thousand dollars every wednesday night and cliff we need you to we need you to to wear skinny jeans and deep cut v-neck and, and get that 
get that stupid new haircut where you shave the sides of your head and the top looks like Elvis. We need you to do all that kind of stuff. And I'm going to tell you something. There's nothing wrong with any of that except for me wearing skinny jeans and having my hair cut. That, is, that would be a sin straight from the pit of hell. But, but all that other stuff, there's nothing wrong with that. I mean, we can have PS4s and American Ninja Warrior courses and, and you know, thousands and thousands of dollars worth of lights. There's nothing wrong with that stuff. But if we're dependent on that, if we're dependent on any kind of method or any kind of program or any kind of that stuff to, to help us be the church wants us to be, it's no different than David numbering the people of Israel. It's no different than that. And how did God respond to David numbering the people of Israel? It said God was displeased and he punished them for that. See, before we take any next step as a church, before we build a building or start a new campus or start another service here or help plan a new church, before we do anything else, the next step for us as a church is to confess. Because confession by the people of God comes before a great movement for the kingdom of God. I want you to write that down. Because that's the thing I want to keep before us as we continue to move forward in this church. Confession by the people of God comes before a great movement for the kingdom of God. And so as your pastor, I want to confess some things to you this morning. That since September of 2004, I have tried my hardest to dedicate myself to making this church the best that it could be. And I want you to know that at some point... And remember how I told you that David shifting his trust from, from God to self was a slow process? I can't tell you when this happened. But I want you to know that there was some point in that 10 years where I began to trust more in me than I trusted in God. Even though God had given us everything we needed, just like the nation of Israel. Even though this church wouldn't have existed without him. At some point, I began to believe that it was my vision and not God's vision. At some point, I began to believe that, that if I just made my sermons funnier or if I made my sermons deeper, then that would be the difference in what we needed. And I was trusting in myself to do that and not in God to do that. At some point, I began to believe that if I could just have the, the right staff member and if I could try to motivate that staff member the right way, then that would make the change that we needed as a church. And I was beginning to trust in myself more than God. I want to confess to you that there have been times in this church's history where I have let discouragement rule me. That there have been times when I've been so discouraged that I have not pulled the trigger on decisions that needed to be made. I've not taken the chances that needed to be taken because I began to believe that I thought God was real, I never doubted He was real, and I knew God was powerful, but I didn't know if He wanted to do powerful things for this church. And so I let discouragement rule me. There were times when I let my previous ministry experience cloud over what I should do here. And I began to make decisions not based on what was best for this church, but I began to make decisions based on what I didn't like at the last church. And there were times when I allowed others 
outside of this church, other pastors who do what I do, people that I would listen to podcasts and people that I would read their books. And, I, and those things are good. It's not wrong to do those things, but I allowed those things to influence me too much. And I tried to make my teaching like someone else. And I tried to make my leadership style like someone else. And I really can't be anyone else but who God has designed me to be. But I began to trust those things more than I was trusting in God to, to make this church what it needed to be. And so I want to stand before you as your pastor and I want to confess those things. And I want to say to you that, that I believe that our elders and our staff in many ways, they followed my lead in some of those things. And then I want to tell you that whether you're elder, staff, partner, life group leader, Freedom Kids volunteer, setup team, or whether you're just here sitting in a seat and you come every week, I believe that if we're going to move forward as a church, that all of us have to confess today. Now, you've got it easier than me because I'm going to ask you to come confess and I'm not going to ask you to stand up on the stage and tell everyone what you're confessing. But some of you here today, you have some things you need to confess about your relationship with this church. This church is a great church. This church is a healthy church. But I believe that we have, in some ways, we have missed our potential to be what we could be after 10 years. And I don't want us to miss our potential to be what we can be after the next 10 years. And, and I think that we need to confess that today. I'm not going to tell you what to confess, but you probably know what it is. Some of you might need to confess in regards to service or, or giving or relationships or gossip or, or whatever it is. All has to do with your relationship with this church. And really what it boils down to is, in many ways, we've thought of ourselves before we've thought of what God wants. We've worried about what would make us comfortable more than what God wants us to do. We've worried about what is the shiniest and the newest more than what God wants us to do. In just a second, we're going to have a time of confession, and I'm going I'm to ask you to come forward and, uh, and, and to get on your knees, lay on your face, stand up, cry, whatever you need to do. But we need to have a time of confession before we can do anything else that we want to do. The rest of this month, we're going we're gonna to read the rest of the story of 1 Chronicles 21 and 22, and you're going to be amazed at what God did in the nation of Israel after a terrible time of taking their trust off of Him. And I believe God wants to do the same stuff here. And I want you to hear me today. Because everything I've said up to now, you could walk away from here and be like, man... Cliff's down in the dumps. It's terrible around there. No, listen, this is what I want to tell you. I believe that we have a time of confession today, and I believe that God will do greater things than we can ever, ever think about. Ephesians 3.20, the Apostle Paul said that if we ask, God will do immeasurably more than all we can ask or imagine. And I think that's what God wants to do in this church. I think he wants to do it in this community, and I think he wants to use you and me to do it. But it's got to begin with confession. True confession. Confession that doesn't justify our actions. Confession that doesn't shift the blame to somebody else. But where we come and we say, God, I confess to you as a partner of this church, as just someone who sits in the seat at this church, as someone who's been a part of this church for however long or was a part of this church and left and went somewhere else or whatever, that whoever you are, that you come forward and you say, God, I confess to you that I've fallen short of what you want me to be 
here serving through this church, and I want the future to be better, and I ask you to forgive me. So Ben's going to come up, and we're going we're gonna to have a little bit of music playing just because we're church people and we're uncomfortable walking out of our seat when it's silent. So we're going to set the stage for you like that. But I'm going to pray. And uh, when I'm done praying, or you don't have to wait till I'm done praying, you can come on, but I want us to have a time of confession. And we're going to stay here as long as we want. And uh, I understand NFL games are starting today. Nobody wants to see those more than me, but we're going to stay here and deal with God and do what he wants us to do. So let me pray for us. Father God, I thank you that when we take our eyes off of ourselves that you show us that. And that I thank you that you are a a God of justice who punishes those who need to be punished, but you're also a God of mercy who withholds your hand and allows us to come back to you. And so I pray today for us as a church that that's what we do. That we would honestly confess that there have been times when we've taken our eyes off of of you and we've put our trust in ourselves. And God, you know I've struggled with this message for the last several weeks and, and wanted to be completely honest with you and honest with this church. And I pray that you would help me to be the pastor I need to be. You'd help me to be the man that I need to be. You'd help me to be the husband and the father and the friend that I need to be. And I pray that same thing for all of us sitting here today, for men and women and teenagers, that we would give our lives to you unconditionally, trusting you to do what you need to do in the life of this church. And so we come to you now in confession, looking forward to what you're going to do for our future. We ask this in Jesus' name. Amen. You come.